We could. Maybe I'll do the whole sermon like that. Turn in your Bibles. No. Stacy would throw things at me. Five dollars? Can I hear ten? Ten? Who's ten now? I once promised when I was a young adult pastor, I promised that the sermon was going to be a musical as a joke. And people were actually let down that it wasn't. So You can't promise over promise under can deliver that's it thank you Dana I may be relying on you for many of those finished sentences today hey it's so good to be together um, and sorry we didn't have stickers to check in your children today we'll have that next week one week at a time right it's like grand opening something has to be fixed and so uh, yeah it's a, it's a great week to be reminded of the faithfulness of God, as I'm telling myself. And most of you are like, I just showed up. I don't know what he's talking about. Everything's great. And uh, thank you for coming on time. Okay, Hebrews. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 25. We're continuing in our Body Life series. And so for May, we're just talking about what it means to be the church. Who are we as followers of Christ brought in um, and formed into a family for the glory of Christ and for our good. And today we're going to talk about the body is gathered. And so we, we come together. We're unified in pursuit of Jesus. And that means we do that with one another. And so the big idea is that the life of the Christian is lived with others. That you can't go this alone. You're actually not meant to go it alone. You are to live the life of following Christ and seeking God with other people. So hear the word of the Lord from Hebrews 10. I'll read verses 19 through 25. We'll pray and then we'll get into it this morning. And the writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, Through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter to uh, the Hebrews, those in Um, Italy in the first century that you were drawing people back to yourself to the purity and the truth that Jesus you are supreme over all things Lord we come having committed ourselves to that same truth and deciding to evaluate what it means to be the church and see what your design for us is and so Holy Spirit we ask that you would help us to see that truth that we are called to be a gathered people as we live this amazing life that you have given us. Lord, help me as I open this word that I would speak with clarity and that you would be made much of in this place today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So the life of the Christian is lived with others. This week, appropriately, you're going to preach on community and the gathering of the church. And so I was randomly reflecting on a sci-fi movie called Moon. Does anybody remember this movie? 2009, I, I may have forced my wife to go to the E Street Cinema in uh, D.C., which is the place you go for all these obscure films that no one else watches. But it was one of these typical dystopian sci-fi movies where the main character, his job was mining helium-3, which sounds amazing, right? But it was this new energy source that they found on the moon. And so he was there for three years by himself doing this work. And it was just him and his computer with very little human interaction. And what interaction he did have, it was often indirect because it was from people on earth. And what goes happen, what happens is this guy is by himself for three years. You can probably imagine he just goes crazy, right? And that's the whole story. So I've saved you um, from having to rent or stream that movie. He just ends up... Crazy. It's a common theme in those type of dystopian stories, which you know I'm a big fan of. And the more alone that someone is, the worse off they always are in these movies and stories. The more likely they are to lose their minds if they're just by themselves with no one else around. I myself am fond of the idea of being alone in the desert. Like I have this beautiful picture of it's just going to be me and the RV and under the Milky Way out in the desert seeing the creative beauty of the Lord. But if I'm honest, I think it would take about like two days of being by myself with no human interaction. I go stir crazy and I was like, I'm ready to get back home and interact with people. And increasingly in our world at this very moment, I think we find ourselves, even in a crowded space like this, alone. We can be in crowds or we can interact online and our souls feel like we actually exist on an island, not seen, not known, not valued or sought after by others. Here we are, image bearers of God. We are actually made for community by the God who is a triune community himself. And we've become far too comfortable trying to prove that every man can, in fact, be an island to themselves. And modern Western culture prioritizes the individual above all things, right? And this can be tremendously helpful when we think of like political rights and social order in our day. But the follow your truth mantra of our day has us as humanity doing all kinds of really silly and unhealthy things. And this posture then Sadly, has crept into the the church where it is easy to just be merely a face in the crowd or a number on a live stream where it's in fashion to essentially just form your faith around your preferences and where any challenge to that is met with division or a separating of the body of believers. It says if we approach life and faith with this attitude uh, that Jesus is good enough as long as I think he's good enough and no longer. One missionary writer, Stephanie Quick, says Western churches are still full of 12 year olds wondering if Jesus is better than all the other options and all their other desires. And I pray someone will tell them with their lives that he is. 
So here we are, really alone, really used to separating, think we can fight it out on our own, even in the church. But then comes the words of Christ in Scripture, which then boldly come into our individual obsession and scream that we're actually meant for each other. We're meant for other people, for a family, for a body to keep us sane. And Hebrews is, is settling this idea and, and calls the believer into this assurance that Christ is in fact better than all of the other things that would drive you from community and drive you from the rooted truth of the gospel. And it's written to followers of Jesus that lived in what I would argue is an age of deconstruction. Because Hebrews calls those that are prone to merging belief with other ways of worship or even pagan beliefs. And, he's, and this author says you need to stick with this faith that is worthwhile, that actually can persevere and keep you. And so Hebrews is providing answers that ignite faith, that ignite our hope and ignite our love. And these are the kingdom theme, themes that keep us. And the author starts out saying, God's son is supreme over all things. We see in Hebrews chapter 1 that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Like this is who Jesus is. He's above all things. He's better than angels. He's greater than Moses. Jesus is the great high priest. And because these things are true, we then as followers of Jesus guard our salvation by looking to him. In Hebrews 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So those rescued by this grace of Christ that have believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are facing the onslaught of divergent ideas and this lure of breaking down uh, faith all the way down to dust. And they're given the reminder after reminder to essentially firm the concrete of their faith. He says you have to do it with the strengthening agent that is the spotless lamb who by a single offering has perfected, who has saved for all time those who are being sanctified. And then all of this, like this ginormous truth, like we can't even handle the beauty of the truth that is in the early chapters of Hebrews. And it leads then in this letter, essentially ramping up to this shift in chapter 10. Because it becomes a now what kind of question that is answered. Now that you know that Jesus is better than all these things, that you've actually been brought in, that you have been sanctified by the perfecting work of his grace, how do you live? So he says, live for these things, but you must do it together as a gathered people. So our order of what we want to think about this morning, if we're finding the truth that the life of the Christian is lived with others, that the body is gathered, we want to start from the reality of this way of life that we are called to. So in our conversation of others and necessity of them, 
we do not want to miss what life is supposed to actually all be about. It begins with the goodness of the gospel, what the author of Hebrews has been saying for 10 chapters. And it starts in our text, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, like, because of this truth that we have confidence to enter into places that we are never supposed to have been allowed, but we can now go by the blood of Jesus. And we've been brought into this new and living way. And this is then what happens when we believe in Jesus. That his life was for us. His death was in our place. And that he rose from the grave, granting us new life. And so we are given access to where we could never go. We are forgiven and made righteous, as righteous as Jesus is, because it's his righteousness that we now own. And we live then the rest of life with this advocate for all of time, a sufficient sacrifice that gave himself once for all. Amen, preacher. Keep preaching. Like, this is just the rootedness of who we are as believers. And then from this dynamite truth, the author gives us three very clear statements. And he starts it in English with, let us, that are a call to obedience, a call to a right response to the grace of Christ. And they are essentially the sum of Christian virtue. They are faith, hope, and love. So God lavishes his grace on his people for many wonderful purposes. And here the Lord assures us of our acceptance through Christ that leads us to know and to worship God. And then we're pushed on to persevere in believing the gospel, even in difficult times, and to show practical care for one another. And that's the the whole of what we're seeing in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. But this life starts with faith. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So believers are to have a rooted and anchored assurance, that which would hold steady through the storms of life, that would be a foundation for building all of life upon. And we are to spend our lives drawing near or seeking God. This is us as believers just living from the truth of our justification. By the blood of Christ, we are given clean hearts through baptism, and we are brought in being identified with Christ and walking with the boldness that we see of those that believe in Jesus, those that have come before us. We are people of faith, like because we have been saved, we have been given hope, a full assurance that won't back down. A, a buddy of mine, many of you know him, Matt Larson, um, he's in Southlands Brea, and we often talk about the need for the, the church or some dream of planting a church in the future. And when he talks about these things, he'll often use the line like, I have faith for that, or we have faith for that as a church. And I think it's a great refrain because it reminds us like, I'm, my posture usually would be, well, we've got enough money for that, or we have enough people for that, or we have the right mental resources for that. But he always brings it back to, like, I have faith for that, and I appreciate it because it represents that the ability won't actually solve it, cash won't do. God actually has to act often in our lives. 
And every time I hear it, I think, yes, we are all equipped to have faith for it. And this is what the author of Hebrews wants the believers to have, a faith that is sufficient. And they're indicating that faith is the normal way of life because Jesus is who he is and has accomplished what he has. There is nothing more sure to have faith in. This is what keeps us. And so we live full with full assurance of faith in Christ that we have been made new and we've been given new passions, new purpose, new identities that require closeness to this throne of grace. And we get to draw near. We get to enter in in faith. Then he also says that we have hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. There is just some very practical wisdom in holding many things in our life relatively loosely, right? Some things of like gained knowledge that we want to look to expand that knowledge over time. We're, we're going to hold that loose so I can accept the new truth when I hear it. Or even uh, uh, being ready to change my perspective on some things I used to have a different perspective on when I learned more. But there are key things that we are to grip tightly and not waver on. These are the central things of Christ and his work. All of these things are our confession of hope. And it's hope because it represents our future eternity and our life claimed and forgiven and promised with him because of what he has done. Like We're not fully realizing all of the benefits of the work of Christ for us at this very moment, but we will for all of eternity. When we see clearly, when we uh, know as we are known. This is like Peter's response in John 6 that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. When asked if the disciples want to leave just like the crowd. And he responds to Jesus, where else would we go? This is clinging tightly to the confession of our hope. There is no other hope for you. And so hope keeps us Going, It takes the assurance of faith and makes us immovable from the grace of Christ. And we step into life with this view on the horizon that we know everything is going to lead us to this place. And we are secure in him, empowered by him and headed home with him. Now, last week, or I guess a week and a half ago now, Stacy and I were in Nashville for the advanced lead couples like retreat. And Donnie Griggs, who's one of our pastors from North Carolina, he preached in the statement that stuck with me from his talk was, our Jesus is coming back. And, and that's true. And that's something that gives us like a, a, a full like upping of our hope, like something that we get to cling to. That This is what our life shaped from the truth looks like, full of hope. Hebrews 6 tells us that for people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes an oath is the is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge or, excuse me, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So the hope of Christ and his finished 
work. It keeps us anchored and secure. And it's because he who promised is faithful. Like, not only do you have faith in the finished work of Christ, and that gives you an assurance, but now you are tethered to this one who is faithful. And all you are asked to do is live a life based on the faithfulness of God. That's like a radical thing, even in our day, to see live from the, the faithfulness of God, because he is faithful. He's kept his word, and he will for all of eternity. And so we can live unrattled, unshakable. We can live steady and true, holding fast to the confession of our hope. And then from faith and hope, we learn to love. Paul would say in his letter to the Corinthian church, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love, which is a text about the community of the church. And we always preach it at, at weddings. And it, I always think that's so weird because you're preaching to two people together about what they're supposed to be doing in the body of the church. So maybe it's a good reminder. You have to be part of the church as you are married and live life together. But the author of Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. So love then is the highest virtue. And, and we know this when Jesus is asked what the most important thing was. And he says, love God and love people. And it's the sum of all the law and the prophets. That faith and hope are expressed in love. And it's the response to the gospel that as those rejecting God and his way, lost in the self-centeredness of sin, would actually be forgiven and made new in Jesus. That he would live a perfect obedience for us and take our place in judgment and give us his inheritance, his righteousness, that we would experience in Christ the greatest of love. And now we live in love. We're redefined by love. We give out what we have received, even so far as to love our enemies, which is countercultural in itself. It's what draws us in. It's what keeps us. And he says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So your life as a Christian is meant to be rooted in faith, to be uh, strongly tied to your confession of hope of Christ, and to stir up other believers in love and good works. Like how, I would do a show of hands, but we're not that kind of church. So did you think about that this morning though? Like answer in your heart. That's how we do it, right? (laughs) Did you think about it this morning as you were driving in or, or walking up? Did you think, how can I today stir up my brothers and sisters to love and good works? Was that on your mind as you were kicking kids in the butt? As you were remembering it was Mother's Day and you need to run quick and get some flowers? Right? But that, that's what we're meant for, isn't it? We should, because this love, this life of love that we're called to, it's not just like me, oh, I've got my faith, I've got my hope, and I've got the love of Jesus. Well, it's a love that's meant to be reflected out from us to others that have received the love of Christ as well. And it is a life of love that requires others 
It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we have the way of life, faith, hope, love, and it's a way that's to be lived with others. Because you cannot persevere long embracing faith, hope, and love without other people. And all of this is wrapped up in, uh, as a package for the gathered believers. Like This letter is specifically, even in this section, we, we believe it's written to people who are discouraged or separated from the body of believers. And like, I don't actually need to be part of these people anymore. Like the, the church has done too much wrong, so I'm going to separate and form my own faith. Does this sound familiar to our day? This is exactly what happens, and it makes sense that there have to be other people if you are supposed to stir up. As you study the whole of Hebrews, you get that sense that this is spoken to first those that are reminded of the supremacy of Christ of, above all things, have actually been those people, like we've said, that have been wandering alone for some time, the ones that have decided to write a different, different script. And it's a warning. It's dangerous to do that. And the answers to those doubts all lead to the community of believers formed by Christ, meant to draw near to God together in faith, meant to hold fast to hope together so as to embolden the hope of each other, meant to love and labor alongside those rooted in that same faith and hope. So just like with eldership, again, proximity matters. You are meant to be around other believers. And living the way with others is actually how we grow because it becomes a safe place in which we can figure out our footing, how we actually are supposed to seek God, how we grab a hold of our confession. It's where we hear of the continued faithfulness of the one who promises and then find hope for ourselves in the midst of that community, in the stirring up of one another. It's also where we learn to keep going and I don't know if you noticed, but I want you to notice that the opposite of neglecting to meet together is not, in fact, like a boldness of meeting together or just gathering, but it's actually encouragement. And we are to be a loving community of encouragement. The gathered body of Christ is where we hear the chorus of voices that have our back, that will be there to support us, to teach us, and to lift us. This is where we answer the prayer of Christ in John 16 for the unity of the church. We have to be gathered to be unified. We have to cling to the things of faith, hope, and love to experience it. And community encouragement towards perseverance requires being together. Community is how we do this faith, hope, and love. Hearing the reminders of the finished work of Jesus, being baptized into a family of believers, faith built among the faithful, those in need, rescued and formed into a family that ups our game for all of life. And it is the better way. And even those outside the faith recognize the benefits of this type of community. Seth Godin's a marketing and business genius, and he says self-sufficiency appears to be a worthy goal, but it's now impossible if you want to actually get anything done. All our productivity, leverage, and insight comes from being part of a community, not apart from it. The goal, I think, is to figure out how to become more dependent, not less. 
Like from a secular voice, that is the most Christian response that we can think of. Like, of course, just from a faith perspective, we're dependent. But a Hebrews tells us that we ramp up not only our dependence on Christ for salvation, but our dependence on each other to be stirred up to love and good works, to be rooted in this faith and the hope that we have. Community, holding fast to the right things, and then fathers and mothers in the faith that keep us from going over the edge. When it's difficult to hold on to hope, there are others to hold us and remind us that Jesus holds us, that he is faithful. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without contradicting the truth. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, his brother's is sure. Many of us have been in the faith for any number of years and in a healthy community realize this is true. Like, I need that reminder. Like, I love spending time just opening scripture with people. And one of the best moments of my week is our Wednesday morning men's Bible study. If you want to wake up at 630, join us. Starbucks in Rancho Bernardo, you can can join in. Because I can read scripture by myself. And I'm, you know, I preach from scripture. So I'm used to like clinging to nuggets that are there that just blows your mind of the grace of the Lord. But that like pales in comparison to when those reminders happen in community. And when we sit around the word, when we hear it together, and it's just from one person to the other, the reminders of the goodness of Christ toward us is what makes that difference. And I can come weak that day and know I will be strengthened by my brothers who are a little bit stronger than me that day. And that I'll do that for them the next time. And the gathered body is where love is realized and is exposed to the world. So not only are we made firmer in our faith and our hope, but this is what draws others in. As Jesus told his disciples in John 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is what we are to show. And what a sad day it is when the loss of love is what actually drives people from community. That's terrible and not at all a witness of the grace of Christ. It's designed actually to be the most noticeable thing about us, the way we love each other. And if we're not gathered, no one sees our love. And I know COVID has made this difficult in the last year and a half where we were not able to meet uh, face-to-face, though. You all got really creative, utilizing tools that we're, we're thankful for in technology. And I'm thankful that we didn't stop encouraging in the midst of not being able to gather in this space. And it's a helpful reminder as we hear, like, don't neglect gathering together, that it's, while Sundays are important, there's shared teaching and worship and kind of like, 
spiritual marching orders of how we're to live. We gather, though, in many ways, some that are more impactful for others. They're gathering just over the table for a meal to be encouraged in life with one another. Gathering as small groups, reflecting on the goodness of Christ, worshiping together. Gathering as just a couple of friends out for a walk to pray with each other. Gathering around scripture. It's just being plugged in with others that we're meant for. I'm I'm sure there's going to be other challenges, other things that demand attention and our participation that sometimes pull us away from the gathering of the believers. But we can't miss what the Christian life looks like as defined by Scripture. It is gathered life with others, an encouraging community built on faith, hope, and love. And it might be costly, but it's what we're called for. The rooted body of Christ, as one writer says, continues caring for each other, whatever the cost. And such care is stimulated by meeting together for worship, fellowship, and mutual encouragement. And the dangers of doing the opposite are striking. Like You just have to keep reading in this chapter of Hebrews, and the author will even say one of the dangers with, of not fellowshipping with other believers is actually the abandonment of the Lord himself. Like, you will end up turning from God, a throwing away of confidence, lost and, and when left alone. So doing the Christian life, this faith, hope, and love is meant for community, which should be cherished like the faith, hope, and love that we remind each other of. The Christian life is lived with others, gathered for our good and for the glory of Jesus. Leopold Scharnschlager, it's a great name, was a a reformer, so think 1500s, and he wrote, Because manifold deceptions are everywhere making inroads, it's necessary for the called, committed, and obligated members of Christ's body wherever they may be in the world or in distress, insofar as it is possible, should not neglect the assembly. Wherever and however they may, according to the place in the persecutions, they should gather together for the sake of their love for Christ, be their number small or great, two, three, four, six, ten, fifteen, twenty, more or less, Such meetings should take place with wisdom, modesty, reason, discipline, friendliness, and quiet demeanor, especially since we see the day of the Lord drawing near. He wrote that in like 1519, and we can say the same thing amplified all the more in our day. So the life of the Christian is lived with others. Now, I've often said that when it comes to church, you should just find the people that you want to sin with and get on with it. That's a common refrain in our small group because we're really good at it. But I, I honestly think I'm shifting my thinking on that statement to find the people you want to spend your life encouraging and get on with it. So keep the truths of Jesus ever before each other and gather like it's a life and death decision because in many ways it is. This is the life constructed by the one who promised, the one who is faithful, a life gathered in community that it may be said of us, as the writer in Hebrew says in verse 39, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls together. Would you pray with me?
good and holy God, we are a people that have realized that you are gracious to us, that you have by your flesh and by your blood brought us in, formed us into a family, given us citizenship in your kingdom. You call us children, and we realize as we continue to open your word that we're not meant for this life, um, lived on an island as individuals, but brought in to be a gathered group of saints seeking you, clinging to hope and stirring each other on to love and good works, that you would be glorified and others would be drawn in to relationship with you. Lord, help us to keep that ever before us as the the world begins to open up after a pandemic, as we celebrate um, opening even our children's ministry, that we would savor these moments of gathering and make it a priority in our lives. That others would see we are yours because we love one another as you have loved us. Lord, I, I pray for those that have been Uh, part of churches where there has been love lost, where there has been division and domineering and bitterness. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would um, work healing in us, that you would forgive us for the ways in which we were unloving, and that you would help us to forgive those that missed the mark in the same way. And that you would free us mentally, emotionally, physically to be able to be part of your body, to cling to faith, hope, and love with others that pursue you. That we know you hold us, you shepherd us. Restore us, Lord, that you would draw more into relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.